There are two passages this morning. The first one from the book of Romans, chapter 5, starting in the 12th verse. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and the life for all. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came into increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second passage is the book of Mark, chapter 11, starting in the, at the first verse. Mark 11. Um, Mark 11. Now when, they knew, now when they drew near to Jerusalem at Bethphage, at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather and do what Christians have done for 2,000 years, as we hear your word 
and eat at your table. We pray that by your Holy Spirit we would encounter you and that you would be with us, abide with us, and speak to us this morning. Amen. Over the last number of weeks in both churches, we've been looking at the multifaceted problem of sin and the different images Scripture uses to explain how the cross of Christ is the great solution to sin in its many manifestations. We've been looking for uh, at uh, sin as sickness, uh, sin as rebellion, uh, sin as lostness, and so on. Today we look at sin as death. In the Bible we find three main definitions of death, and all three of these definitions are very closely related to sin. The first definition we find is the one that we commonly think of when we think of death, and that is physical death. Physical death for Christians is understood as the separation of the soul from the body. In the very opening chapters of the Bible, God warns that death will be the consequence for human sin. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely... Come on, people. You shall surely... Okay, you're tracking. Good. In the New Testament, St. Paul picks up this theme in his letter to the Romans. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all, excuse me, because all sinned. Later on in chapter 6, Paul says that the wages or the payment for sin is death. Physical death, then, in Scripture is understood as a corporate consequence for corporate sin. Okay, the second definition of death that the Bible gives is spiritual death. Listen again to St. Paul, this time from Ephesians 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here Paul speaks of spiritual death as a state of being characterized by bondage to the spiritual powers of evil, bondage to the sinful desires of our flesh, and a state of being in which we are alienated from God and by nature children of wrath. So this the Bible calls spiritual death. And finally, in the scriptures, we have what's called the second death. The second death refers to the judgment of the wicked at the end of time, after the bodily resurrection. And the book of Revelation speaks of the second death using a very potent image. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral... Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death, then, is the final fate of those who stubbornly refuse love, refuse grace, refuse repentance, and choose to cling and remain in spiritual death. So we have physical death, we have spiritual death, and we have the second death, all of which are either a consequence of sin or the state of being in sin. So how are we doing so far? 
You glad you got up this morning? Glad you came to church to hear a nice feel-good message? <laughs> the last time you're going to invite me back here. But we have a pretty bleak picture here, don't we? For us, death is the great enemy. In fact, St. Paul calls death the last enemy. There is no greater adversary beyond death. Especially in the West, we tend to do all we can to delay, ignore, hide from, escape, and sanitize death. Death is, for many, the great evil that looms behind most of our fears and anxieties. And there's a good reason for this. Death seems so final. There is a certain kind of inability associated with death. We all know that we cannot free ourselves from it. No one can undead themselves. In the state of spiritual death, we are totally unable to please God or to obey his commandments. So for many in our world, death is a hopeless end to a purposeless life. You may know what I'm talking about if you've, if you've ever attended a non-faith-based funeral. I think there's a reason that our culture increasingly uses the term celebration of life instead of funeral. For those without faith, celebrating the past is all there is. There's no hope for the future. There's no hope of reconciliation. There's no hope of resurrection. There's no hope at all. It's very bleak. Even for those who believe in good and evil, light and darkness, still death appears to be the one place that the light cannot penetrate. Recently, my daughter Mary celebrated her ninth birthday. And for her birthday party, she invited 13 girls, which was something else, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, 13 girls to go see the fantasy movie, A Wrinkle in Time. And they really enjoyed it, and it was a good movie and all that. Uh, The antagonist in the film, have you seen this movie? No, some of you have. The antagonist in the film is a shadowy, malevolent being known as the It, which represents all the greed and the anger and the pride and the selfishness in the universe. Now, the source and home of the It is a planet called Kamazots. Now, the main problem of the film is that the father of Meg and Charles Wallace, which are the two main children, the main characters of the film, Their father becomes trapped in Kamazots, the dark home of all that is evil. And in order to help the children find their father and bring him home, three supernatural cosmic travelers appear. These are kind of magical, angel-like beings that are played by Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. Now, what really struck me about this movie is that as much as these three beings could help the children and point them in the right direction, they could not enter into Kamazots. In the movie, it's revealed that the reason for this is that the three women are made of pure light, and they're unable to penetrate into pure darkness. When they get close to this planet of death, they begin to lose their power. They begin to fade Now I want to contrast this with the gospel of Christ. And here's where the good news starts, so I'm not going to talk about the bad news anymore. The good news is coming. As we've said, human existence is characterized by death. We are subject to physical death. We are trapped in spiritual death. And without the good news, we await the second death. But here's the gospel. The Father, out of love, 
sends the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the light of the world, all the way from the heavenly realms into human existence. And not only does he become a man, he goes all the way in to death itself. He comes to us in death. As we say, he truly suffered in the flesh and he truly died. Or in the creeds we say, he descended to the dead. So unlike the three beings in the movie, Jesus goes all the way into the darkness, all the way into death, and not just any death, but death on a cross, as Paul says in Philippians. The death of a common criminal and one of the worst deaths conceived by humanity. So Christ takes the light of God all the way into the darkness of death itself. But as St. John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's why the psalmist can say, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I lie down in death, you are there. Or it's why St. Paul can preach with such certainty. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because Christ came all the way down into darkness and death to bring his light even there and to bring us all the way into light and life. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but but Jesus willingly received those wages on our behalf. In 1 Corinthians, we read of this glorious divine exchange that happens. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a very curious episode in Matthew's passion narrative, Matthew's account of the crucifixion that I want to point out to you. Let me just read it quickly from Matthew 27. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, And yielded up his spirit. He died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. And the rocks were split. And listen to this. It says, the tombs also were opened. Have you noticed this before? And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So even before Christ's resurrection, Matthew says that the tombs were opened. Even prior to Easter Sunday, something about the death of Christ gave life to those in the tombs. The great exchange had happened. The ransom was paid. And the payment was the death of God, the Son. And death was defeated. We have a prayer in our Anglican tradition at the communion service for Easter. It says that Jesus, by his death, has destroyed death. 
and by his rising to life again has won for us everlasting life. Or our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters proclaim this at their Easter services. They say, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. Isn't that a great phrase? Trampling down death by death. And upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. I mentioned secular celebrations of life before. And I I don't mention this to be callous or out of pride. Because without Christ, we would all be having celebrations of life. But what a great contrast to a Christian funeral. Just last Saturday, we held uh, the funeral here of one of our beloved parishioners, Ursula Vondette. And it was powerful. As Reverend Ken and I walked down this middle aisle here, we proclaimed the funeral sentences at the beginning of the service that Christians have been saying for 500 years. Like this one. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Or this one, whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. For whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be, dead, might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the good news. The good news is that though we are in a state of death, we are, we are in physical death, we are in a state of spiritual death, and without hope we await the second death, death is defeated for the whole world for what Christ has done. So what does that mean for us now? I want to read to you a passage from Romans that I think is so pertinent to, 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 to this that I want to read the whole thing here. So I'm going to read a passage from Romans 6, and then I'll just make a few comments, and then we'll be through. Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now this text is so important because it speaks about our union with Christ. For Paul, in this text, the death of Christ on the cross is not merely something that remains an external model for us to admire and imitate. 
It's not something for us to survey from afar. No. Paul says that through faith and baptism, we have been united to Christ. We were buried with him in baptism, that we mystically participate in his death. And now we exist in a new reality. As Paul says in in the passage that was read this morning, we were once in Adam, subject to death, but now we are in Christ and have been made alive. Paul contrasts the old self with the new self. And keep in mind that he's talking about Christians here. He's talking about us. He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about us. He says the old self, we were buried with Christ in baptism. He says the old self was united in Christ's death. He says our old self was crucified with him. In other places, what does he say? I am crucified with Christ, right? He's identifying himself with him. And he's saying that we have died with Christ. There is a very close union for those who are in Christ. And what does he say about the new self, the new man, the new woman? The new person has been raised to newness of life. We will be raised in a resurrection like Christ's. The new person is no longer enslaved to sin. It is alive in Christ. Death has no dominion over it. And it is dead to sin. So just as Christ became sin and died, so mystically we are in Christ. We have died with him. We have been raised with him. And we will be raised with him. So in Christ, we have gone from being dead in sin to being dead to sin. This is the new death that we experience. We're dead to sin. Something that Christ has accomplished through his death on the cross. It's a new reality. So what is the application for us this morning? Well, I think some of us are trying in vain to raise ourselves from the dead this morning. In other words, we're working really hard to live up, to obey, to be disciples. And the good news for us this morning who are trying desperately to raise ourselves from the dead is that we can rest now because Christ has done it. Christ has died for us so that we can die with him and be raised in newness of life. So the striving can cease. We can rest in what he has done for us. The good news about being dead is that a dead person cannot live by themselves. We need to be raised like Lazarus was raised, right? Remember Jesus at the the tomb of Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth. So that's good news for us who are trying and striving to raise ourselves from the dead. And we just feel like we can't, we can't please God. God is pleased with you and with me. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. I also think that there are some of us this morning that maybe in our heads we have assented to the doctrine or to the teaching that Christ has died for our sins and he's raised to life for our justification, but we're still living as though we were dead in sin. We still live 
in in the death of our trespasses and sins. And for us this morning, the message is consider yourselves, as Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Christ has done it. Christ has died. Therefore, you don't have to be chained to your sin anymore. You are free. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. But present yourselves as instruments of righteousness to Christ. Which, which one are you this morning? I know I tend to flip-flop between the first one and the second one. <laughs> Never really finding the happy medium. But there's good news for all of us this morning. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Grady. Uh, as we move now into our time of communion, uh, let's uh, reflect on that, that Christ's death has given us the ability to live. We can... Uh, we, are, we die to, to ourselves, to our sinful nature, and we live in Christ. And that is what we remember with this, uh, with this celebration, with this communion that we are about to take. Uh, before I pray for the communion, I'm just going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians. This was Paul's message to the church in Corinth. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.